Hey guys, it's Mike and Kurt from Philcraft Survival. As you guys know, we don't make a penny off this podcast. One thing that was uh, advised to us and something that we've been thinking about is opening up the door for you guys to make a donation to the podcast to kind of keep us on track. Yeah, uh, Maybe we can get off the iPhone and stop recording <laughs> and actually build a studio or something. Yeah. But it'd be kind of cool to uh, you know upgrade the situation, which obviously upgrades the content for us to allow us to put out more content. Our objective is one to two podcasts per week uh, based on our current activities, which is being busy all the time. Yeah, We've reprioritized things, but you know, a lot of the podcasts that we compete with, uh, including Soft Rep, which we always stomp a mud hole in, uh, also Bernie <laughs> Sanders, which we defeat on a weekly basis. That's like two of the like complete opposite. <laughs> yeah, absolutely it is, and we're in, we're in the same category. We're, in, we're actually in government and organizations. We're we're a top ten podcast all the time. I think last time we checked, we were number five. Yeah, uh, competing with like Smithsonian Museum and right. Bernie Sanders Soft Rep, which is cool. Which is real cool. Yeah. So bottom line is, if you guys want to help us out and you guys want to make a donation, it's not anything. There's no obligation. It's yeah. not like we're forcing you guys, but we want you to do it. And if you don't do it, we'll just unfollow you. And, <laughs> um, but you guys can make a... Are you strong-arming people? Uh, passively aggressive. No, I think this is a cool way. I mean, you know, again, like Mike's saying, we're not asking uh, for anything. Wait, I think we are asking. Yeah, we are kind of, I guess. No, but like you said, there's no pressure to do it. But I think it would be cool because it's going gonna, it's gonna to expand the horizon of the podcast, improve the quality, and then allow us to make it, you know, more of a, a regular thing. So, that, Which I think is a staple for 2018. We need right. to be able to do that. Right. So if you guys want to make a donation, you could go to our PayPal account, which is our business PayPal account. Right. And it's uh, info at philcraftsurvival.com. Again, that's info at philcraftsurvival.com. Because this podcast is sponsored by Philcraft Survival. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's all we got. Oh, and Lucas uh, from T-Rex Arms. He's a, he's a good uh, business partner of ours, friends of ours, friends of ours. I don't know why I mentioned his name, but uh, he might have <laughs> well, gave us his hat the right idea. Now, so. Yeah, he might have gave us the idea, but no big deal. If you guys are interested, we appreciate your feedback. You don't have to uh, donate, but if you if you do, um, more power to the, the podcast and Heck the content. Yeah. yeah. And we look forward to uh, doing more of these. Hey guys, it's Mike and uh, Kurt Hohan. You know. From Phil Cross Survival. That was anticlimactic. Do that again. Well, it's weird because we're doing, actually, this is our first <laughs> doing, video yeah, podcast. We're doing video. So I'm not sure we're to on, look at the microphone. Or look at the video camera. Or look at the video camera. But um, I got a mic right here. <laughs> <down> here. <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. Dude. What's cool is we can do the visual now because <laughs> we do the audio thing. Now I'm like now, backing off. I'm like squaring uh, off. Right why, are you, why is your zipper undone? That's weird. That's weird. That is weird. <laughs> why, you, why don't you have pants on? This is stupid. I, this isn't stupid at all, bro. This is like leading into like a really good podcast because there's a lot going on in the it world. It better. There better be some content here to deliver. There, there's so much content to deliver. <laughs> there's a snowstorm in um, Florida, or the whole East Coast, right? Yes. That was very profound. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's profound. Dude, an inch of snow in Florida shuts that place that down. That is, yeah, you're right. I think uh, we had friends in North Carolina today that were talking about six inches of snow 
in North Carolina, which you get a half an inch in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and yeah. it shuts it down. So yeah, everybody crashes into each other. The only uh, it, the only people working in Florida is like the Disney on Ice <laughs> ice capades. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I don't know. We can't do this. We can't do. I'm not used to doing video. And Why are you uncomfortable now? <laughs> yeah. I'm like retreating back. <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So yeah, we're doing a podcast on actually family training and emergency preparedness because uh, we get asked that more often than any other question. I think it's like, how do I prepare my kids right. and my family? Because it's easy for a you know a, a guy or a gal to go to a gunfighter course and they learn their whatever. Yeah. But how do they take it back to their their family and get them involved as well? So it's yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, and the firearms thing is like uh, a quarter or it's a sliver of the pie, right? So there's a lot of different things you could train on with your family. It doesn't just have to be firearms. It could be, you know, med. It could Fire. Be, yeah. I mean, and then the, a good example that you just used, and we just posted on Fieldcraft Survival, was actually talking about contingency planning for winter storms when they're... <laughs> I don't know what you're doing right no, now. No, I was just thinking about the... Uh, we had hand sanitizers at lunch, and then uh, he was going to do a whole butt podcast on... Uh, and butt post on uh, well, it was gonna be yeah, hygiene. it was gonna be a pro tip on hygiene, survival and hygiene. You, I mean, when you get wipes at you know when you have wings for free, yeah, dude, take advantage could, of that, dude. You could, I mean, that could totally clean your butt. It's gold tokens. It's like little coins, yeah. gold coins. Yeah, it's you could try. There's a the pro tip, dude. And the pro tip is if yeah. you get issued wipes at a restaurant, don't throw those away. They could come in handy later. Yeah, the zombie apocalypse. You're not going to be trading gold because nobody gives a shit about gold. You're going to be trading wipes. You're going to be trading butt wipes. Yeah. Dude, I have three butt wipes. We'll trade for a peanut butter. There you go. That's pretty. We digress, profound. guys. We're going to try to get professional again. But that's uh, professional. But, I, but the host is unprofessional. That's professional. So this is what I have to deal Dude, with. Dude, that's like zombie apocalypse. Anything is professional. Right. Anyways. So, we, yeah. Yeah. Family training and planning and yeah. what are we talking about? Well, Survival uh, training in general, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the reason people ask that is because, you know, it's, it's learning and being conditioned and going through a training course and when you have cognitive understanding and you, you have the ability to learn is different than um, teaching a child who, you know, obviously doesn't have the cognitive ability to make um, good sound decisions, especially under stress. Right. So we dumb it down uh, like we do for like Joe's and the infantry. Right. Um, and turn it into a conditioned immediate action drill. You use no whistles. Offense, you dudes in the shift, infantry. Shift left. I was Whee! that guy once. Yeah. Well, you know, when you're under stress, it's I don't even know if it's a stress thing. It's not even a stress thing. It's a it's an immediate action thing, right? When you have a, a private who's sitting on a, a firing or assault line shooting a 240 machine gun, into a whole bunch of uh, bad guys. Well, he's in the support by fire position. Oh yeah, he's sorry. He's <laughs> he's next to the assault by, assault uh, assault line. Offset from the assault line, <coughs> the support by fire. Security position. support yeah. by fire assault. We, we get the fundamentals of a, an ambush or a raid. So he's laying down um, scunion on bad guys, mm -hmm. and um, or as my buddy Jeff would say, scunion. <laughs> sorry, that's an inside joke. But anyways. So he's laying down fire, and we use whistles, or we used uh, lift and shift um, uh, signals that might be tracer rounds, the flaming rock, the flaming rock. <laughs> it, it, you know, there's a whole bunch of different techniques, but that's to simplify the process, right? And so when you're dealing with kids, 
it's the same thing. You know, we, we, we like to use pro words. We teach pro words. Right. Because if I yell Irene, right, it's not a word in their vocabulary. They know that it requires immediate action. It requires them to do something. Yeah. So well, like, what's the example that, well, so we've been talking a lot about obviously family preparation and training as far as modern survival is concerned. And so some of the things that we would consider part of that training would obviously be if you own a firearm, uh, that not only does, you know, do your kids need to know about it, but your spouse, right? Whether it's a husband, wife, whatever it is, uh, but also being safe with, uh, with that firearm, it's, it's a tool, right? So, uh, we are not of the demographic that believes guns get up and walk off on their own and they go and do harm to the public. So, you know, the big part of that is, is having good gun safety. And so there's four fundamentals of firearm safety that we teach at all of our courses, whether it's basic or the gunfighter course. <clears throat> and it's the four fundamentals of firearm safety. And that is number one, treat your weapon system as if it's always loaded. Number two, I don't let the muzzle cross anything I'm not willing to kill or destroy. Number three, I keep my finger off of the trigger until I've made the conscious decision to shoot. And the fourth one there is I know uh, my target in 360 degrees around it. So I know what's in front of it, I know what's behind it, and I know what's to the left and right. Um, some solid companies out there uh, teach the four fundamentals of firearm safety. Um, there's different variations of it, but we've gone with the four fundamentals. Uh, and that's what we teach. And, and what we found through a lot of different experiences and through years of training, not only people in the United States, but also indigenous units in different countries, is that when you're adhering to those four fundamentals, typically you're not going to have an accident. Yeah. And that's that's the start point, right? If you want to teach your family, uh, even children, you have to teach them safety. Uh, right. Safety is the number one uh, consideration, especially when you're dealing with something that involves stress and all these unknowns and these variables that impact people's behavior, right? You have to start off with, uh, uh, with good safety fundamentals and then understanding, Hey, if, you know, I use the, the, uh, story when I was a kid, you know, my dad had a badge and a gun by occupation and I used to sneak his pistol and I remember dry firing his pistol in front of a mirror when I was like seven years old. Right. And that's scary. I mean that for me to even, reflect on that and then think about having children, which you have kids. Right. Um, and, and think about how unsafe that potentially was for me. Mm -hmm. Um, but my dad did re teach uh, responsible gun safe handling. And, you know, I fired my first 357 Magnum after a dirty Harry movie and they told me <laughs> Florida at a, a soda can when my dad was all motivated. And he's like, uh, I want you to say the words. What is the words? Uh, uh, oh, I don't know. What? Is it dead or alive? You're coming with me. That's no, Robocop. No, no. That's Robocop. Yeah. It's uh, <laughs> dead or alive. You're coming with me. What is it, Derek? Make my day. Make my day. That's what it is. <laughs> make my day. So yeah. he's like, son, say make my day. I'm like, make my day. Asian accent. Make my day. Make and my day. <laughs> I'm like, damn, I'm a boss, dude. Yeah. So as a child, I knew how to handle a firearm, keep my finger off the trigger. And I think it's a uh, the number one first step in uh, setting yourself up for success. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, another important thing, and, uh, you know, I have kids in the house and I have firearms in the house. And I think something important to, to always recognize is to teach your children to respect uh, that firearm. You know, I call it a tool, right? I have a toolbox. I have a bunch of different tools. You're a toolbox. Sorry. <laughs> Can't be serious here. Sorry, at bro. The, at the Sorry. podcast. Um, no, but is, uh, is, Hey, uh, a firearm is, is a tool that you apply for whatever you need it for. Right. So 
but you got to teach your kids to respect that. And then going into the, the four fundamentals of firearm safety. And, you know, another one I think of, and I even tell my children is like, Hey, you're not going to handle that firearm unless I'm present. Um, and then that goes into training and everything else. Right. Which I, you know, this is a good reminder for me that I need to get more engaged with my wife and my kids, uh, doing firearms training, because I think probably the most I've done with my wife, and this may surprise some of you guys, is actually done the four fundamentals of firearm safety, load, unload, um, with my Glock 19. Um, and, and I actually need to get them out to the range and get them schooled up a little bit more. So, well, you're behind the power curve. Cause I was just doing free flow Siki B with your wife. <laughs> Wait, not under nods last night. Where were you at? You were Good just dude. sitting around. <laughs> yeah. What? What? We were flowing and like running and gunning, broke the house. Yeah. You were sleeping. Um, yeah. no, I think that's a, that's an important point. You know, when people look at, uh, children and then, you know, the, the idea is, and I think it, it's causing the anxiety of the question is, you know, I have somebody who's not potentially interested in firearms. I have somebody who's not potentially interested in uh, gun handling and all this other stuff. Right. So how do you manage that? And I think uh, when I look at emergency preparedness in the household, the first thing I look at is the most highly likelihood of uh, potentially happening, which is fire. Um, or, you know, yeah, we actually, so we talked a bunch about this prior to actually filming this and talking about this. And I want to throw in there that the biggest thing that we talked about was your geographic location. And we actually, you know, came up with kind of a planning process, not kind of, but it, but it's a good thing I think to write down. And it's one, recognize what your geographic location is, where you live in the United States or wherever you live and the most likely natural and man-made disasters that are going to happen. And then basically on a piece of paper, you're going to line both of those out. So one side is uh, natural disasters and then another is a man-made disaster. So an example is if I live in San Francisco, that natural disaster is an earthquake, right? Which is a highly... Yeah. They just had an earthquake there. Four right, highly pro probable thing that's going to happen. And then once I write that down, then it starts to generate ideas of what I need to do to mitigate uh, the risk to myself and my family or to survive a natural disaster. What do I need to have on hand um, to be able to survive that incident? And then conversely, when you look at um, a man-made disaster, maybe in a metro, major metropolitan area, it could be uh, a mass shooting. You know, it could be uh, an active shooter type of scenario. And so, you know, you write that down and then you start to list out all the subtasks to help mitigate or survive an incident like that. And I think in doing that, actually, I don't think I know when you write that down, you can look at it and have something to plan off of. You start to develop contingency plans and equipment lists based off of, you know, a very simple way of, of dividing things that can happen based off of your geographic location. And then that'll help you actually move forward with finding a trainer somebody you know for example like us that make you know that does this for a living where we teach gunfighting we teach self-defense we teach modern survival and all those different things and then you also can help build your equipment list and what you need to keep on hand uh you know to keep your family protected and yourself protected so, yeah i think it's a good point because it breaks it down into two components which is training and equipment right and equipment enables your survivability through through your training so if you have a fire extinguisher in your house, for example, and it's sitting on your kitchen sink and you haven't done a proper maintenance on it, you don't know it works. Well, that's the first, you know, first step in, in the right direction is, hey, maintaining equipment and then determining how to use that equipment. Um, and then you like Kurt said, you know, when you're doing this plan, you don't have to do it by yourself. 
and do the grind, get the family together and do what's called war gaming. We do course of action development. Right. Really, we do that on a daily basis for business, but you should be able to do that for emergency preparedness because all the variables will greatly impact your chances of survivability in this situation that you live in. You could live in a condo. You could live in an apartment complex in a multi-story building. You could live in a rural environment in a farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. All three of those examples have different requirements for how to train and how to equip yourself. Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about some staples, some staples of survivability that we preach all the time when we're talking about survival. And that's number one is having a go bag, which includes a survival kit, preferably a minimalist survival kit from Phil Cross Survival, and a med kit, because those are the two components survivability you know in staples whether it's fire water procurement uh you know signal is a must have in a in a crunch right you could be in the middle of a snowstorm uh in north carolina get stuck in traffic on a two-lane highway you're gridlocked you can't move you can't hump over the highway because you'll freeze to death and so what are you going to do you have a survival kit and a go bag you have the ability to maintain um your body uh warmth and that and that's an important factor in exposure because you'll die from exposure secondly you have the ability to gather snow and um collect it for water procurement and sanitize it and so you know check out our minimalist survival kit and and uh, we have a podcast actually on the entire survival kit but also look at your med considerations because if something goes wrong whether it be natural man-made more than likely that wrong is going to uh, right casualties and so when you look at casualties and treating trauma, the primary uh, fundamentals of treating trauma are to stop the bleed and stuff the wound. Right. You stop the bleed with tourniquets, which are included in their minimalist uh, survival kit and our, our Philcraft med kit, um, and stuffing the wound is obviously something that you would use uh, that's in our, uh, our med kit. And you, you just can't, I know guys and gals who buy shit and they're so motivated because they got a piece of equipment and they put it in the back of their car, they hang it off their headrest and they put cool patches and shit on it. But are you really educated at what's in that bag? I mean, I can tell you right now, I have an IFAC. That's a $500 uh, North American Rescue uh, casualty treating kit. That's on the back of my headrest in my vehicle. But I know every single piece of equipment, including the surgical gloves that are in there to be able to deal with uh, hazardous material or, or blood spills. So you need to know your equipment and... Uh, um, it doesn't help if you get and all the sexy shit right? and train with it all the yeah. time. Which is a good, so this is a good segue into, so we talked about firearms. Now let's talk about med. Mike just hit on a ton of things to think about. And obviously we're a resource for our med kit, but um, probably the two biggest things that we, uh, we have talked to other special operations zone businesses and then based off of our own experience and probably the two major things that you need to be focused on is using a tourniquet and then actually bandaging and packing a wound. And the reason why is because here in, you know, permissive environment, United States of America, you know, you're within a certain amount of response time uh, with first responders. And so if you've got a major arterial bleed or something to that effect, and if you can actually apply a tourniquet, you're gonna save that person's life, you know, uh, a pretty high percentage of saving that person's life because you're gonna actually stop the bleed, allow the first responder to show up um, and then obviously, you know, as a paramedic EMT or something to that effect, having the training to understand, hey, I've got tourniquets on and now I transport to uh, a major trauma facility, right? So um, the idea of training, it's not just you as an adult, it's actually, and there's a great, uh, Mike's actually reposted on Instagram before, but a great video 
of a father that walks in and just throws a, uh, a cat tourniquet inside of the room with his child and says, hey, this just happened, apply the tourniquet. So when you're looking at doing this type of training, you know, a good thing to remember is even surprising your children and having them do that. Because remember, you know, children, they get overwhelmed with stress uh, probably a lot more than adults do based off of different studies. And so actually training them in those type of environments is going to actually is be is going to be really beneficial. And so, you know, and the other thing to remember is when you're when you're applying a tourniquet, it's actually painful if you've actually applied a tourniquet to somebody and you crank that thing down to stop bleeding. Um, it's extremely painful. So one thing to remember when you're training your children with tourniquets is that if they're applying it to mom or dad. Um, and they're young and they're going to be worried about hurting mom or dad to have them understand that when they apply that tourniquet, it may be painful and that's okay, you know, to do that. And then all the different applications you can use a tourniquet for, you know, the placement of the tourniquet, for example, if you're putting it on a leg and you're trying to stop a femoral bleed, it's high, as high as you can go um, on the leg itself and you're applying that tourniquet and then cranking that thing so that way it stops the bleed. But these are all like little one percenters that I, I think a lot of people, I think there's some more guys out there now and gals that are that are helping promote this, but it's good stuff to think about when you're talking about training your family. So, you know, it's cool. The firearms thing is sexy, but the probability of dealing with a med scenario is probably a lot higher than you getting into a gunfight, um, you know, just through basic car accidents and accidents around the house and all these different things. So. Med, in my opinion, for your family should probably be the top of the list. Um, and then you're kind of going down from there, you know, based off of what, a, what other, you know, potential hazards based off your geographic location could happen. Yeah, it makes it fun for the family. I mean, it, you give a kid a tourniquet, you know, the, a tourniquet itself is, is very, if you don't use it for a long time, right? You know, you'll lose that skill set. I mean, sure. even for me, where the cat tourniquet, Right. I have to know how to prep it in advance because I have to get a block instruction from Zach or one of our med guys because it's 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 just you haven't touched it you haven't done everything it. is perishable just it's like it perishable. was yeah. yeah in the military for us so yeah. if you're not practicing that stuff um, you know kind of one of the things I always think about with with my own family is like you know quarterly training so once the initial um, skill set is obtained you know whether it's med firearms whatever. You know, there should be some type of training cycle that you implement in the family. And it's it could be, training, yeah, yeah, it could be once every four months, you know, quarterly through the year, or however you look at that. And it could be, hey, we're going to go to the range, we're going to do med and whatever other different issues uh, may present themselves for you geographically. Those are going to be the things that you cover. And it could be quarterly. The whole idea behind Field Craft Survival is that we don't train based off of fear you know, and what could happen and we're going to scare the shit out of you to get you to buy whatever it's experience based training. And it gives you the client or the customer or whoever it may be, your family member or whoever, it gives you the ability to have the confidence that when the shit hits the fan, that you actually have training and experience to fall back on to deal with the situation, which should give you a peace of mind, really. Yeah, it absolutely does. And, and that leads into um, the question to ask, hey, how do I instill mindset in my children? And I'll tell you, just based off of hearing um, Kurt talk about it and hearing myself, it's you instill mindset in the process of learning, right? When you teach your kids how to use a tourniquet, for example, and you teach them a protocol, let's say your, your pro word is Irene, 
and the kids are upstairs. And every time you say Irene, they know to exfil or to leave the house by any means necessary. And they're going to rendezvous or meet at the mailbox at the front, at the end of the drive. That training process in itself, in itself instills confidence in their abilities, which is instilling by default mindset for them to be more resilient. So when, when, when things happen, right? Cause you don't just exercise this, like a training plan that we're talking about, like, Hey, throw a tourniquet on your kid or tell your kid to throw a tourniquet on your leg, um, in broad daylight in a comfortable environment. Now, what do you do to evolve that process, that training process? You add stress. Now you, now you do it with the lights off and you do it with low light and then you do it with no light. And then they get little pieces or little slivers of situational uh, or situations that lead to situational awareness and instills this confidence that, hey, I'm capable as a child to knock this out. And you reinforce it with uh, incentivized rewards, which is high fives. Let's go get ice cream. Let's go out to dinner. You earn this. It's a basic conditioning uh, response of, uh, you know, you do good work, you get uh, good rewards. Is that why you buy me a steak? I buy him an ice cream every <laughs> single day from uh, Chick-fil-A. You buy me steaks when I do a good job. You're like, good yeah. boy. And you hang a steak over me and I'm like, I, be, I buy you tube steak and he loves it. He tears up some Kurt is like the connoisseur of tube steak. He's got a collection of tube steaks in his freezer. It's weird. And he keeps it frozen and then it's slightly used, but he goes back in the freezer and I'm like, why haven't you eaten wow, that? Wow, that was really in depth. Oh, what? What, what? You like, you like tube steak. You like the tube steak? Speaking of tube steak, you know, I, no, I'm a second. All right. So, you know. This one time when I was in Thailand. <laughs> well, we had a guy from Alaska give us some good, good uh, meat. Oh and, yeah, uh, we did. Yeah, it's in tubes. Yeah, it's tubes. It's so and it's meat and it's sausage. What is it? It's caribou. Tell them about your trick. It's where reindeer. You swallow that whole thing. <laughs> Don't tell them all the that. way. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just a, it's a it's an old school trick. I learned it when I was you know it's no big deal. When I was on the road with the circus, no big deal. I'll do a video oh, no, one day. Of that. <laughs> all right. So we talked about guns. We talked about med. Yep. Um. So one of the things that I was thinking about, and we you know again, Mike and I, well. This time we did a we did a uh, a practice run yesterday of the podcast. <laughs> anyway, so we were talking about um, fire, and so when I was living in North Carolina around Fort Bragg, uh, I lived in a two story home, and we were in that home. You know, my kids were upstairs, and my wife and I had the master bedroom downstairs. And one of the things that I actually had in the house and, you know, for you guys that are spun up and you gals that are spun up on uh, fires and two story homes and all that, this won't be a surprise to you. But we had a collapsible ladder that I kept under my uh, then my middle daughter's bed. Um, and she was the she happened to be, you know, uh, the the oldest in the house at the time. She's the oldest now. My my oldest is, was out of the house. So she was kind of the, the head mofo in charge upstairs if anything bad happened. And so uh, with the fire thing, we had a collapsible ladder, kept it under the bed. I actually did a block of instruction with my kids that, hey, if there's a house fire and I can't get to you, you're going to deploy the ladder out of the second story window and you and your sister are going to climb down the ladder and wait for your mom and I in the front yard. And so, you know, you can buy these things. I forget where the heck we got it. I think it would, may have been uh, like... Um, one of the hardware places around where we were living in Fayetteville, they sell them all over the place, but collapsible ladder. If there's a fire upstairs, train and teach your kids to deploy the ladder and get the hell out of the house. And, and a good example that Mike and I talked about yesterday was, you know, we do a lot of contingency based planning and special operations. 
And your your pro word, right, for a fire might be Irene, which condition, conditions your children to do something specific. For example, if I say Irene, my kids go to the front yard. That's the rally point. That's where they wait until I get there to get accountability of everybody in the house. But what do you do if your kids, because of the fire, can't get downstairs and can't get to the front yard? They've got to have a PACE plan, the primary, alternate, contingency, and emergency plan. And so our primary was always, hey, we'd link up and get outside of the house, right? I'd get accountability in my family and we'd do, you know, pets, all that stuff. But, you know, the alternate to that plan was deploy the ladder. If dad deploy the ladder, yeah, deploy the ladder, deploy the ladder. If mom or dad couldn't get upstairs, they had a collapsible ladder that was underneath the bed that I'd given them a block of instruction on. And we'd actually let this thing hang down. Uh, out of the second story window to see how far it actually reached to the ground. Um, I didn't make my kids go out and climb on it, you know, but just to make sure the thing was functional and to see how far to the ground the, the ladder actually reached, right? That's smart. So it's like, it's, uh, it's no different than anything we did when we were serving in special operations. Like you get new equipment, you actually use it, deploy it. Rehearse uh, become, it, yeah. yeah, you rehearse it, become intimately familiar with it. So that way, when your ass is on the line or your kids or whoever, uh, they actually have a plan that they can execute and survive. Well, why did you have a Sibian underneath your bed? <laughs> yeah. What was that for? You try to tell me that was an emergency preparedness tool. That's yeah, that's personal, bro. I'm oh, not my getting bad. Into it on the my podcast. Bad. My bad. We'll do a post <laughs> about that later. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, the, the question and tying up with uh, with children and with family members it's important to remember that if you are the knowledge, you know, you're, you're the power and the wisdom of the household, it is your onus responsibility to disseminate that information and include everybody in your family. It's very difficult to do because I'll tell you, you know, from, from experiences with Kurt and even my own experience that teaching a spouse or a loved one, they, they don't want to, they don't give a shit what you have to say. <laughs> I mean, really, they don't. Yeah. Well, so one of the, yeah, that's a great point. So, We've talked about this a bunch before, but even doing firearms training with my wife, um, I don't want to be the primary instructor because it's like, it's just our dynamic. But I, I've talked to a lot of spouses where this, you know, is a, is a yeah. familiar experience yeah. and they don't want to train their spouses, right? Because anytime you're talking to them and you're like, no, don't do that gun handling. Blah, blah, blah. And of course your spouse is like, shut the fuck up. You're you know? a loser. Yeah. You're an asshole. Stop talking. I don't care if you're a green beret for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so no, but it's good. So that's a great point to bring up about, um, who you pick as far as a trainer, right? So we've hit on this before. Make sure whoever you're going out to find has a legit background. Um, and is actually going to be able to teach you something based off of experience and not theory, which is important. Yeah. The most important thing I look for in a trainer, and we've we actually done a podcast on this, uh, surviving training. Yeah. Um, we've actually written an article on it too. I, I think the most important aspect is to find somebody who's a good trainer. Yeah. I mean, a lot of time uh, communication is broken down and you could be a badass operator who's done a whole bunch of cool stuff. But if you can't communicate that to a child that, you know, to a, to a woman, uh, who has no interest in touching or doing anything, survival, anything, um, it could be a dude too. Um, it, it, then you need to look elsewhere because you need to focus on somebody who can disseminate that information intelligibly to where you understand it. Because, uh, it, you know, when we're talking about this stuff, which is scary stuff for a lot of people, um, you, you want somebody who's an effective communicator to be able to relay it. Roger that. Um, 
you know, there's a, we're, really we can go down a rabbit hole with this this episode and talk about a whole bunch of stuff. But let's do some kind of scenario stuff. Yeah. So, well, you know, obviously I gave a couple, I, I think some of the big ones that I think about when, when it's dealing with firearms uh, specifically is that you have some type of a home invasion scenario. Um, and I can actually speak, uh, you know, with some personal experience on this and I'll just describe to you um, what happened to me. So we were living. In... This is what I kicked in your door when I was drunk at one time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And I accidentally I just shot you the in couch. the head. That was no big deal. <laughs> I winged you. That's what you, won, you won me. So the, uh, so this, so what ended up happening, uh, and I would come to find out later. So I'm in my home in Rayford, North Carolina at the time. And about two, three in the morning, I hear pounding on my door, which is definitely out of the norm. Um, I carried it, you know, at the time I had a Glock 19. I still have that Glock. I had a Glock 19, had it on the nightstand, immediately grabbed it and went and basically pied around, um, outside of a corner that was outside of the master bedroom um, just to see what was going on who was at my front door this is two three in the morning and that's not normal like where we lived obviously most places it's not going to be right so i i happened to look uh through my i had a good solid core door and it had a but it had a a uh, oval window on that door and i could see a guy standing um, you know, on the front doorstep and he's ringing the doorbell, knocking on the door. And I'm like, who the fuck is that? So, you know, me immediately, I've got this guy locked down with my Glock and I approach the door. I pie off to the side of the door where I had a big window and I'm looking through the window and there's a dude drunk on my doorstep, uh, covered in blood all over his t-shirt. He's barefoot and in blue jeans and i'm like okay something's weird so i what dude he just wanted to hang out yeah man. he wanted to do he a high drink five. some beer <laughs> yeah. why are you such a hater so i kept him locked down at that point my wife was awake so i tell my wife uh wait me. so you open the door and you're like don't fucking move no 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 no. Oh. i kept him locked down because i didn't you know you didn't you didn't let him see you yet no he didn't okay. know i was there because he was obviously fucked up and and my thing was like hey i'm not gonna I'm not going to open the door and expose your yeah, family. Ex right yeah, now. exactly. So I kept him locked down, right? Cause I knew that if I had to shoot him through a window or shoot him through the glass in the door, that I would be able to do that. And so I had my wife at the time, she not at the time, but my, <laughs> my, my wife, wait a minute. Calls, Lisa. Yeah. <laughs> no, she calls nine one one and we get a hold of the Hope County Sheriff's department. And I'm literally talking to them on speakerphone. I said, Hey, here's the deal. I've got a guy on my doorstep. He's covered in blood. He's barefoot. You know, he's pounding on the door. Barefoot blue jean night, dude. It's yeah, country song. right. <laughs> um, what was their reaction? So how are they communicate? Well, they were like, I told them straight up. I said, I have a gun and I have it pointed at this guy. And if this guy makes any kind of movement into my home, like I'm going to defend my family. You know, and I'm like rationally and very calmly saying this. And the dispatcher is like, whoa, sir, like relax. We're going to get a deputy out there as soon as we can, blah, blah, blah. She'd be like, no, no, you relax. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> well, so this yeah. is a recording. I'm right. letting you know. Yeah. Well, the funny thing was, so, uh, sh or long story short. Um, I like know, a long story. Long yeah, the long, yeah, this is the long version. So I didn't end up shooting the guy. Um, Damn. It could have been a Conus kill. I know. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, the sheriff's department pulls him off the front door. They knock on the door. I, you know, at that point, I put my pistol away. And I'm talking. You, you didn't answer the door like, <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. Just ah, shaking. Yeah. Oh, good. Ah. Um, no, but, and, and the funny thing was they had the guy out in the front yard and they said, 
you know, once I identified who I was and I said, Hey, I'm in third special forces group and yada, yada, yada. We, we did our bona fides back and forth. Uh, the sheriff, you know, jokingly went back up to the guy and said, you don't know how close tonight you were to dying, Seriously, <laughs> which is, which is really true. Right. Because, you know, depending on what the law is in your state, you Stay have underground. Yeah, yeah. You have a right to protect yourself. Uh, it, you know, and in my mind, I'm going worst case scenario. This guy kicks the front door in because he's out of his fucking mind and I'm going to do what I need to do to protect my family, which is, I think the right mindset that you need to have, you know, it's not, I wasn't picking or provoking a fight. I wasn't going into look and looking to do this. This guy presented himself as a threat. And if the threat continued to grow, you know, I was prepared to use force to protect my family. So what's the, what was the fallout from that? He's just a so, dude. Like just, the, so what ended up happening, come to find out later on, my neighbors had a party <laughs> And this guy was in the, so they had a party garage closed and they had people in the garage and they had a family member there, a female, this guy had tuned up the female. He'd smacked her around. I found this out after or else I would have at least given him a, a good smack in the chops, but, uh, he had beat up his girlfriend, which happened to be a niece of my neighbor. So the men at that party beat the shit out of him and threw him in the road and then he came to my doorstep looking thinking it was yeah thinking that he was going back to the house or something because he was yeah, clearly yeah. drunk out of it off his ass so anyways but a good uh a good scenario of like different things you could do right but the bottom line was i think one of the key takeaways is i was armed and prepared to defend my family which you know hopefully if you're listening and you're not armed and prepared to defend your family, that's a good scenario of potentially what could happen and you need to be ready. Yeah, and the exercise of like, remember that this is like educating your wife and your children. What happens when you're not home? How does your wife handle that situation? Great, yeah. Well, if you look at that scenario in its totality, you you, you could break it down. And we just, you know, we have this isolate, rehearse, repeat uh, training fundamental, which is, you know, isolate the task, rehearse it till it's efficient and then repeat it till it's committed to muscle memory. But you have to go through these type of scenarios with your family. So you, you literally bring your wife and your children into the living room. You say, what would you do right now if somebody knocked on the door, they were bleeding and standing outside barefoot and trying to get access to the house? What would you do? Yeah. And then ask them the question. But also um, build the, the scenario out and educate them with the right processes. Like here's what you would do. Number one, you would retreat off the door um, you would, def you would get a firearm, put yourself, uh, in between the threat and your family, your children, potentially, and you call 911, you get communications with first responders first family members. If you have them close nearby second, and then, uh, you squat and hold and potentially that situation develops. And then once you've done a talk through, right, we do, we do rehearsals in different ways in special operations. A rehearsal for us could be a map reconnaissance, looking at an overlaid, graphic right that that's the first type of rehearsal but in this case you could literally go through the motions of what would literally happen and you could do a crawl walk run you know these are the the crawl is the walkthrough hey this is what we do the walk is now we're going to go through it and pretend like you're going to do it and i want you to address the threat and then the run through let's do it at combat speed and let's see what happens when things don't go as it as it plans out or as you've planned it out and so as you go through that process, you're going to identify, which is the whole point of this period, a whole bunch of contingencies that you need to put in place from equipment to training deficiencies uh, every single time you do it. 
When you do a full combat reversal, which is a full combat speed uh, scenario, and you play it through its entirety, you will always, almost always identify things that are wrong. And the, the point to this is when you review this, when you do an after action review and you're talking about it, and you're looking at the sustains and improves, you're not focused on what everybody did so right. And you know you were perfect, honey, you did it so excellent. And that's needed, that reinforcement's needed. But you need to focus on the wrong and identifying those deficiencies and training them out until they're perfected and proficient. Um, you know, one thing that I'll tell you is like, you know, being in a remote fire base in Afghanistan or Yemen and going over um, the fire defense plans or the fire fire based defense plans for those places. I'll tell you that even the most trained and competent warriors on the planet need that constant sustainment and continuity training yeah all the time and because what happens is in life you got a lot going on we're complacent i mean we're complacent in our natural pattern of life me and kurt are complacent sitting in this room that door's unlocked in front of us there's glass doors they could identify us right now kurt's probably got a gun on him Uh, i have a gun on me um we're complacent sitting here in this environment because we're comfortable when you get comfortable which your home is the most comfortable place you get the most complacent so how do we breed this complacency out of you? Um, you do it with training. And then um, you do it with uh, hip pocket training where you do it unexpectedly. You wake your family up at midnight when they're groggy and they can't perform optimally and they're not making sound decisions and you get them to do conditional responses. And that's how you test and validate if your training's working. Um, you know, it could, be a, it could be a text, you know, hey, there's a disaster happening. What are you gonna do via text? And you literally text your kids and they have actions they have to go through and then they do them and then you validate it you, and you do an after action review and see if they did it right. Um, the one thing about this, and this is the caveat to all this, is you know we're sitting here talking a lot about what you should do. It means nothing if you don't do it. If you just hear this and you're just like, conceptually, that's a great idea. And you talk about it with your wife at the dinner table, and you don't implement anything, it's all for nothing. It's just a big fucking waste of time. <laughs> Thanks for wasting our fucking time. Sorry. I digress. Um, well, that was uh, uh, that was climactic. It was. It was. Yeah. It was. No, but it's those are all important things to realize. And you know the the cool thing is you know part of this like we're talking about when you're training with your family and you're doing these things like everybody's looking you know these days to spend good quality time together. And I <laughs> no think, better time than doing yeah. simulation training in your house yeah. shooting paper targets. <laughs> right. Uh, you're doing CQB in the house with the kids. Hell yeah. No, but it is, you know, it's good. I mean, in a sense of, I mean, and, and one thing I think that that's important to understand is that if you've never done anything like this before, you're actually the catalyst for change in your own family. And that in and of itself is going to catalyst for change. Ooh, damn. damn. But you're going to perpetuate or you're going to, you know, your children. Too many big words in one sentence. Know, right? you're fucking yeah. it up. I'm, I was an 18 Bravo guy. Sorry. <laughs> Um, no, but your children are going to see that. And that could be something that continues to, to happen in your family over generations, which I think yeah. is a good thing. And, and that's like a huge mindset, uh, change, right? Because if you're not used to doing that, um, and then you, you, you jump into this and you dive into it, you know, head first and you're all about it and your children see that they're going to remember that mom and dad were prepared that way. Um, and even generationally, if it doesn't affect anything you're doing at the time, maybe a generation down the line, it saves somebody's ass. So, I think that's badass, man. Yeah, Those are good, good points. Cause I think 
it's a legacy thing, right? It's something you hand off to your kids. And that mindset that you ingrain in your kids to be prepared, it transcends itself through your evolution. Genera- yeah, generations, generations and of- generations. And you like to always <laughs> dive into stuff head first too. When you said that, the only thing I was thinking I was is- actually zipping my pants down when I said head first and I was gonna go, damn. <laughs> well, there, that's an end to that podcast. We got things to do. No, so, well, actually, yeah, I think this, you diving head first into my pants is a good end to this podcast. <laughs> Let me say that. Uh, no, but we have training courses coming up. We've got gunfighter courses coming up. We have basic uh, pistol courses coming up. So the first- Two courses that we're running in, in 2018 are January 13th and 14th in Ceres, California. And I think there may be still a few slots left for the 14th, which is Sunday, January uh, 2018. You can jump on fieldcraftsrevival.com to see what's still available. The next course after that's going to be 20 January with me doing basic pistol in Phoenix, Arizona out at Caltown Range. And then Mike will be training the 27th and the 28th in back in phoenix um at cowtown and then february 3rd and 4th i will be at reveille peak ranch in texas with one of our new instructors john who's got a fantastic resume um and he's going to be uh assistant instructing with me he's also a special forces guy he's still actually doing the job he's a national guard guy and he's also a texas dps swat guy so a lot of experience there And then the cool thing is Mike on February 3rd will be in Las Vegas, Nevada, training with two of our good buddies there who one of them is a SWAT guy uh, in North Vegas Vegas PD. And then we've also got a Vegas Metro PD guy uh, who's got a a lot of knowledge and skill. Who was one of the first responders during the Vegas shooting. Yeah, the uh, Vegas shooting. Mass shooting, yeah. yeah. Mass shooting. And those guys are going to be teaching with Mike in Las Vegas. So if you're interested in any of those training courses, Go to fieldcraftsrevival.com. You can see all the dates, what we're doing, and we're going to continue, uh, even as we get busier as a company, to to provide good content and knowledge uh, for people, not only in firearms, but med um, and a lot of other avenues. So don't forget, we also have equipment on our website uh, that can help facilitate a lot of things that we're talking about, the Green Bray Minimalist Survival Kit. Um, We've got a trauma kit. Hey, we got t-shirts, hats. Support the brand, support what we're doing. Uh, we're not fucking around. Like, this is the real deal. This is who we are. Uh, it's an everyday lifestyle, and it's what we teach, and we believe in it. So, I, I want to mention something about um, a local that we use that I recommend to you guys. Um, you know, when we're talking about all this stuff, this includes equipment. And, you know, we have different resources for equipment. These people don't pay us. We actually support them because he's in our community. He's a veteran. He's a veteran. He's a police officer. And him and his wife are like super, super squared away. And uh, we respect them, but also we do a lot of our business and equipment through them. And they have given us the opportunity to uh, get a Philcraft coupon code, right. um, which is the actual word Philcraft, which will save you 10%. So I want to give you this information. I'll put it in the uh, notes for the podcast as well. But if you want anything, guns, ammo, targetry, kit, uh, accessories, uh, email JJ at jj at coloradogunfighter.com again that's jj like the juliet juliet at coloradogunfighter.com or you guys could actually call the shop you know i got the number to the shop it's uh 970-884-4963 that that again is 970-9-er-7-0-8-8-4-4-9-er-6-3
Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you guys are interested in anything, you know, the, the big things that these guys do in Colorado is uh, CCW training. They do. Uh, which, you know, if they focus on situational awareness and the laws, which is to me the most important aspect of it. Yeah. And we work with them in conjunction with, hey, if you buy a firearm there uh, and you're interested in doing training, we we are the facilitator for training. Sure. Uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah. And then um, when you're looking at equipment, they ship guns and they ship accessories everywhere in the United States. So there's no excuse. I mean, yeah. use them, get 10% off, mention Fieldcraft. Get 10% off and see where it leads you. Um, finishing off, you know, I just want to mention that the Modern Mindset 365 thing that we're doing. You know, it, it, it was our, you know, we don't believe in New Year's resolutions, right? We talked right. about that because, you know, it, if you have to make a resolution, you should do it on the fly yeah. and, and make it impact your life daily. It doesn't have to be right. uh, every single year. Well, yeah, and, and we have to do course corrections uh, like we did in land navigation all the time. And that's kind of how we apply that mindset to our lives and so like i talked about it uh in a new year's post and i said i don't do new year's resolutions because what i what i don't believe in is doing something for a couple months just because it's a new year's resolution and that's gonna like somehow make me better or guide my life yeah maybe temporarily that could happen but i'm looking for long-term sustainable things that actually make me better so yeah 100 that's kind of the premise behind saying we don't do new year's resolutions yeah every day could be potentially a resolution and this is the concept between the uh, modern mindset 365 on my page is that i'm you know we're spreading my mindset period that's executable things not just con conceptual things right um and i'll be doing that every single day for the entire fucking year <laughs> um just kidding but I'm, I'm it's it's actually motivating for me because it gets my mind thinking about experiences that we've been through right that might potentially save uh you guys some ass pain and uh refine the process because <laughs> we got kurt's got tons of ass pain yeah um <laughs> That's why Actually, he's, in Mike's... he's in a diaper right now. You guys don't even know Mike's that. the king of ass pain. Uh, I'm the king of giving ass pain, and he's the king of receiving ass pain. Uh, right, so we'll leave it right, at that. All right. All right, all right. Well, so keep your ass alert and make it stay alive. Wait, what? <laughs> wait, wait, where am I? Oh, so yeah, um, fieldcraftsurvival.com, soft survivor, Kurt underscore team fieldcraft. And you Fieldcraft a, Survival. Yeah, yeah. At Fieldcraft Survival is the business page. You have a, a upcoming name change on your Instagram. Yeah. Hey, so... <laughs> I know there's going to be a lot of keyboard smart asses out there. Yeah. But we are looking for a new handle for my Instagram page. Yeah. Did you put that out on the Instagrams, the Instawebs? In the Instawebs? Yeah. No, I didn't. Oh, we'll have to do that. But if you have any good ideas, <laughs> email him at training at philcraftsurvival.com. Oh, God, and just put the subject line what it don't. is. Like if it's like douchebag McGee, just <laughs> yeah. put douchebag McGee. And if you're going to send me douchebag McGee, just fucking delete it. Because yeah. I can come up with that one. We need something creative here. Send, send nudes only if you're a dude. <laughs> yeah. All right. <laughs>